Welcome. I think in light of what we've heard today, and we've got a full service because we're going to be doing an incredible gallery communion time as well at the end of this. So uh, I'm going to keep this message as brief as possible so you won't have to listen to me talk all that long. Um, but I think in light of what we've heard today, uh, this story that we're going to be going through, the story of Noah's Ark, is actually perfect. And so my, my big task this week was we've got a gallery with Noah's Ark uh, art. We've got Joy coming to talk about the sex industry, and then we've got me talking about Noah's Ark, so how do we loop all of those together? Um, and actually, it, it came together in a pretty cool way, as stories often do. So before we jump in to the story of Noah's Ark, I just want to um, pray for us. Also, if you have your Bibles or want to get it queued up, we'll be in Genesis 7. So let me pray. God, I'm just so grateful uh, for Resonate. I'm grateful for this space. I'm grateful for places that we can have conversations uh, like we did with Joy and communities like this that can partner with organizations where you are so heavily at work and we can kind of jump in the flow of that river and, uh, and help where you're, already, where you're already moving. And so uh, we're thankful for that. We're thankful for your, uh, your heart of redemption in Los Angeles and in the, the sex industry. And God, as we talk about uh, one of the most famous stories in the Bible, would you just bless this time that we have this morning? Amen. Um, so yeah, this is like one of the big hits. When you're going through the stories of the Bible as we're doing, we opened up a children's Bible and just plucked out sort of the biggest stories of the Bible where I was like, what would you have learned in Sunday school? Let's revisit those as a new church so that we can have sort of a base level knowledge of what's going on. Um, and the biggest deal here is to find ourselves in the story. So we're putting ourselves like in the shoes of the characters of the stories and we're also finding ourselves through the stories. Because as we kind of enter in to these big, big, big narratives in the Bible, we're finding that we can find a little bit more about ourselves and a little bit more about God um, through them. So Noah's Ark, this is actually known as the second creation. So when scholars look at this text, they treat it like this is, this is where God kind of hit control Z and goes, we need to redo what's going on. Um, and it's it's... It's often uh, a children's story, so we talk about the animals going in two by two. We're going to see some fantastic art uh, that goes along with that this morning. Uh, but we also have to kind of acknowledge the darker side to this story, which is that like God literally floods the entire earth, and in this poem, in this symbolic, beautiful story, he saves this, this Noah guy and his family and then he saves a select group of animals, two by two, male and female, clean and unclean. And we have to kind of sit and reckon with that. And it's a strange, strange story. There's a lot of grimness to it. But what I'm hoping we can do this morning is prove that this story is more about the love of God than it is about the wrath of God. And there's a tremendous amount of hope and redemption in the story of Noah. So let's get going uh, right from the top here. Um, we have a man uh, named Noah. So last week we did Cain and Abel, and we've got Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. And so we go Adam and Eve, we have a piece of fruit, and then we have Cain and Abel, and we have murder, and then we have Noah, and we have, like, war that's going on, violence. So what happens after Cain and Abel is Cain goes and he becomes this wanderer. He murders his brother, and God places a mark on him, and he says, you're, you're going to be cursed to roam the earth the rest of your days. And this is a big deal for a guy like Cain, because Cain is a farmer. And so land was super symbolically important to Cain, and not ever being able to put down roots in one place would have been like a death sentence to his identity. And so uh, Cain never really gets his own roots, but, the, but these city-states start popping up as development and, and civilization grows, and 
Cain's family grows, and eventually Adam and Eve have another child named Seth. And all of this becomes these small little villages and cities that get antsy, and they start going to war with each other. So this is the first time in the biblical narrative that we see that there's this, this violent tension that goes beyond just a single murder, but it's, it's, it's murder to a high degree. It's war. It's violence. And the scripture calls out this violence. This is in um, Genesis 7, verses 11 uh, through 14. It says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and it was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. That's a bold statement. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it and pitch inside and out. So let's sit in this for a moment. We, we go from Seth and his kids, and then the Bible kind of hits fast forward in Genesis and brings us to this story, but it goes through 10 generations. And remember, we're reading this stuff symbolically and poetically. So those 10 generations are there to prove that there was a lot of time in between the Seth and the Noah. And in that time, the earth had gotten so violent. And that's the key there, violent. The earth had gotten so violent that God eventually has to step in and do something. And I love the language there because it's, it's, if we pay attention, it's violence. God sees this violence and he goes, this cannot last. I'm not into it. So we fast forward, we have this guy named Noah, and God tells him this verse that we just read, and he's essentially like, hey, I'm going to destroy the whole world, I need you to build an ark. Can you imagine being Noah in this moment? You're like, what? You want me to build an ark so big that we can preserve life through it? I'm only one guy, I have just a family, how is this going to work? But God basically tasks him with this huge, uh, huge task. And God says to Noah that he's going to have every animal and creature of all kinds, clean and unclean, which in the Jewish tradition is actually a really big deal, clean and unclean. Hold on to that because we'll come back to that later. And place them in the ark that Noah is to build for this impending doom. So check this out. This is the verse 13 through 16. It says, On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of three sons, entered the ark. So Noah has built the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all kinds of livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that had the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals were in, male and female, of every living thing, as God commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. So I want to just focus on the person of Noah for a moment. Um, if what we know about that time was true, and we have all these like warring city-states and stuff, there's people going after resources and power. And then there's this guy, Noah, and the only thing that we know about him in the scripture is that he's a man who's righteous in God's sight. So he's a man who's walking with the Lord. And so in the midst of all of these other city-states trying to get power over other people, we see Noah, and he's building a big old boat. And if if there's one way to stay out of war, it's to up the crazy on everyone and just build a huge boat in the middle of nowhere on dry land. Um, so basically, fast forward, Noah's built this massive ark. The flood starts coming. The rain starts coming down. The animals start showing up. They all enter into the ark. And I think the craziest part about this is that the Lord shuts them in. So if there was any doubt 
in Noah's family at that point, like, what is this crazy bearded man doing? When they see God actually shut the door, they're probably like, okay, <laughs> we're set to go. And the flood rages on for 150 days, and everything is wiped away. So you can imagine Noah and his family are floating in this massive zoo on what used to be their homeland, which is now looks like this deep, deep sea. And it's 150 days. So you have to imagine the tension there. God kind of goes silent in this part. So you're left in the boat going like, what is going to happen next, God? What am I going to do? And we kind of see this desperation in Noah. Uh, as, as 150 days comes to a close, Noah begins to get desperate, and he wants to see if there might be any land. So it, it, the text says, in a, in a window that, Mo, that Noah had made, which means, like, in a lot of pictures, we have that picture of the cartoon arc. A lot, you can kind of see it. A lot of uh, children's pictures, we get this really nice deck up there. It's probably shuffleboard. They're hanging out. And we have these windows, and there's, you know, there's a panda, and fun stuff, and they're all like kind of just checking out the sea, like hanging out. Um, actually, like in the, if you're like looking at like the technology that was available at that point, this is way too advanced. What it really would have looked like was this, and that's the next picture. And if you can see it, this is just a big box. It's a big box, and there's stuff at the beginning, but there's no way that they could have included any sort of windows in the construction of the art because that kind of technology was, was miles and miles and miles and miles away. So it would have just been this big wooden box where you wouldn't have been able to see out of it anywhere but up. And so when it describes Moses sending a raven out of a window that he had made, this is a man at the end of his rope. He ripped a hole in his ark so that he could see if there was land and this whole thing was over. So he sends out a raven, and the raven comes back. And so he knows, okay, the raven didn't have any place to land. So essentially, like, this place is definitely still flooded. Then he sends out a dove, and the dove comes back with an olive branch, and there's this enormous amount of hope, like, oh my gosh, like, this could, this could actually happen. So he sends out the dove again, and the dove doesn't come back, and then they know that this is over. And it leads them to God actually inviting them out of the ark, and this happens in Genesis 9, 12 through 17. Uh, God invites them out, and he says this, and this is so profoundly important because this sort of clues into the love of God and not the wrath of God aspect of this story. It says, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you, and all living creatures of every kind. That's important, all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will set it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. And a quick tangent there, that all life thing is so, so beautiful, and it cannot be skipped by. Pet lovers rejoice. <laughs> your, your, your dog or your pet is loved by God. Uh, but even more than that, when he's saying like clean and unclean, everything in that art, I will never again send something to destroy all living life. There's a, the abundant amount of care that we see in God for living creatures on this planet, for all of his creation. So even though there is this destructive force called a flood, there's still this huge amount of love for 
everything in the boat, not just Noah and his family, but all living creatures. And so that is Noah and the ark. That's one of the biggest stories in the Bible. And if you haven't spent much time in church, you're probably scratching your head wondering why, because it's a strange story. I love the fact that there's animals. Hey, if you want a really good story to go really, really far, like put in a bunch of adorable animals, that's going to work every time. And I love the fact that there's like this redemptive thing in Noah, that there's this do-over, the start-over. Why? What does it mean for us right now in 2016, on October 16th, this story of a giant ark and a bunch of animals and this man named Noah? What does this mean? And we really need to ask and explore that question. It's especially important to this week. When we live in a time, like last week, Hurricane Matthew devastated the Caribbean and even our own country. The death toll in Haiti is at least 300 people, according to a Haitian ambassador in the U.S. The reporters, or the other reports, report much higher deaths, and Matthew has killed at least 17 people in the U.S. And so when a storm of this magnitude hits, even today for us, we have to wonder why God would do anything like that. We have to sit in this weird tension that we believe in this loving God, and we see the rainbow there, and yet still these devastating natural disasters happen. These devastating acts of violence happen. So why would a loving God do that? That's one of the hardest questions to ask in the Christian faith. But if we explore that question, our faith can only get deeper because at the end of all of that questioning going, there's always hope. There's always that rainbow. There's always something that God is up to. And it's not a new question. Right? Many other cultures have a story extremely similar, almost identical to this. The Sumerians, the Hindus, most of Mesopotamia, in fact, Greece, Rome, even Ireland and Scotland have flood stories that show that the gods are angry. And here's the deal. In our story of the flood, we have the only story in which God promises that he will never, ever, ever do it again. In the Sumerian story, in the Hindu story, in all other stories, there is no promise of hope at the end. There's still this God that you better be, like, really, really nice to and not piss off because he might flood the entire earth if you do something wrong, right? And the scariest thing about a flood in ancient culture is that rain was something that you would pray for. We're experiencing that in California right now with a drought on, like, like rain was something that was a blessing. So when it would rain, you would, you, that was something you were praying to the gods to happen and so it would happen, and you'd feel like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, it's raining, and now it's pouring, and it's not stopping. That's great, and now it's pouring a little bit more, and it's not stopping, I'm getting a little more nervous, because the flood is starting to rise, and what's going on, and all of a sudden, things are starting to get damaged, and all of a sudden, I'm having to run, all of a sudden, everything is getting destroyed. What happened? I must have prayed wrong, right? Or, I must have done something to deserve this. And I think the coolest sort of, like, ex-native of guilt, ex-native of baggage, ex-native of all this stuff, is that if we look to why God actually had to put a stop to what was happening on earth, it wasn't because people were praying wrong or they were engaging in a life with God wrong. It was because of the violence that had entered the world. It's because God took a look at it and he's like, this just doesn't make sense anymore. This is too violent. There's death, and death is not okay. And so right from the story in Genesis 7, this is the seventh chapter of a book that has 1,189 chapters in it, and God has already proclaimed, I'm not like that. And if you know my rant on the number seven in its Hebrew form, this is chapter seven, so you better believe it's good. So there's this aspect, uh, the story that hits on devastation, we're seeing in our own time with Matthew and things like that. But what's the more po poetic 
thing behind this? What is this story trying to teach our soul? And I love the metaphor of Noah when it comes to the Christian life. Like I mentioned before, here's a guy that's building a massive, massive structure, a boat in the middle of dry land near no body of water for his family, for the people around him, for like everyone looking in, Noah looks like a crazy person. And yet, Noah is the one who is listening to God and acting on that. And I love that when it comes to our Christian faith because so often in our walk with Jesus, it can look a whole lot like we're building a boat in the middle of nowhere. Why are they spending so much time on this Jesus thing? Like, why are they giving so much of their money and their, and their, their, their energy towards this church thing? Why, why are they doing this? Because it doesn't make sense in our culture. But really, a walk with Jesus is all about the fact that when a flood comes, when something devastating enters our life, we have built that big old boat, and we have a place of shelter and hope to reach out and help other people from that is the redemptive quality of God that's built into the Christian faith. If we're following this the right way, when things like what we heard with Joy this morning enter, when Hurricane Matthew hits, if we're engaging with Jesus, then we can look and say, hey, we've got this ark. We've got this big old boat that we built in the middle of nowhere, and now it has some use. Now it has some tangible use in the real world right here and right now. And even more than that, I love that metaphor of the ark for the church especially for Resonate. I mentioned before that they put every kind of living creature in that ark, clean and unclean. There's care for both in there. And then God shuts the door. Now, the really interesting terminology here in that verse is they say the Lord shuts them in. That word shut is actually better translated as latch. So the Lord locks them in. He locks them in in all of their diversity and all of their difference, and all of their change, and all of their personality, and all that stuff. The ark is this perfect picture of the people of God floating on this raging flood water, but protected and working together. And if we can view the church like that, if we can view the church as a safe space where we can explore our faith as the flood rages on around us, then the church can do miraculous, amazing things because Jesus wants us to do that. But we get too tied up on not offering the ark as a space of safe space and a space of friendliness and a space of welcomeness. Then that ark just becomes some big floating piece of wood that is irrelevant and doesn't matter anymore. So I pray for this space and this community that we would be the type of community that pull people into that ark, clean and unclean, every walk of life come on down and be a part of what we're doing as the flood sort of rages on. So at the end of the story, God presents this rainbow, and I think there's something so creative and beautiful in that, that the sign of hope wouldn't just be like, hey, I'm going to like, you know, another burning bush or something like that. No, it's this huge, gorgeous rainbow with all of these different colors. And it shows the creative artistry of God because like, what good art does is it becomes a symbol that brings us out of our current context and into something different. And when we see something like a rainbow, it's so hard to ignore because it's so beautiful, right? And so this morning, as we engage in communion, we're actually going to go out into the lobby 
and we're going to witness some art that's been created from ages all the way down from four years old to adults. And what we can do is be reminded of God's love, care, and promise that he's never going to do that again, and promise that he loves us, and promise that we are his people. And we get to do that by engaging with artwork, and I think that's such a beautiful way to do that. So what we'll do here is the band is going to come up, and as they do that, we'll filter out, and you'll see the communion table is uh, right, right near all the gallery and the painting. So go ahead and take communion right there. Soak in the fact um, of God's promises for us. Then we have the community table, which will be right next to it. You'll see it has a black box on it. If you guys have a community card, we'll take just a minute here. I'd love it, even if you've been here 100 times, for you to fill out that community card so we can update some email addresses and stuff. And then also, like if you have prayer or if you have uh, interest in, in joining one of our um, small groups or interest in serving in some capacity at Resonate, write that on there as well, um, and we'll do that. But uh, I just want to pray for us as we uh, move into communion time. But right after I pray, feel free to take a minute, and then I'll usher us out into the lobby. Cool? Let's pray. God, I'm extremely grateful for full mornings like this where we get to... Uh, we get to really just witness a little bit more of your kingdom, see a little bit more of what you're about. And I thank you for this beautiful story of Noah, God. Would you, um, would you just stretch us this week to believe that, um, that Resonate and church in general can be this safe, safe space, and that we're kind of to bring that safe space, arrows out into the community, into our neighborhood, into the world, and help it look more like your kingdom. And we can only do that through you. And so as we engage in communion together this morning, let us remember all that you've done for us, all that you're doing for us, and remember your promises for us as we look at art, at beautiful art that's been created as a reminder. Uh, Lord, I'm just so grateful for this space.